0: Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nas Traveler that digs deep into the realities of traveling as a woman today and celebrates why we'll never stay home. I'm Meredith Carey, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Lolly Ericoglu. Hello. And we've got a bunch of people on the podcast today. I'm going to start with our very own editorial assistant, Bridget Hallinan. Hi, guys. We also have Anna McGorman, who has been on the podcast before, but now has a different job title, which is very exciting. That she also couldn't tell us about, <laughs> which is on the podcast, but it was in the works. Um, exactly. So she's director of culinary operations at Milk Bar now. Very exciting. Um, and then we also have Rachel Carton, who is the senior social media manager at Bon Appetit. Hi guys! Keeping it in the family, very yeah. exciting. So what we're talking about today is something that I kind of came across. Uh, we had had this idea to do this podcast where we just talked about all the things we love to eat, because of course Ollie and I decided to do that. And then I went to Nashville a couple weekends ago and was sitting at a restaurant, very small restaurant, and was looking around and had been seated by a guy, and then my waiter was a guy, and then. It was an open kitchen, and all of the chefs were guys. And so I kind of pulled the host aside and was like, I don't mean to be rude, but do you have a single female employee? And he said, not right now. And I I just kind of looked at him and was like, OK. So maybe we should all think about that for a second. But yeah, they had no women employed in their entire staff at all, not a single one. And I was there eating alone and was just like, this is a weird experience. And I want to note rage texting me, being like, <laughs> still no women, nope, nope, none of man. Should I say something? No, I
1: shouldn't say something. I'm, I'm going to say, say something. something.
0: Um, so we decided to kind of change this podcast a little bit to not just be about uh, the favorite things we've eaten ever in our entire lives, but the ones that we uh, realized and want to celebrate were lovingly and deliciously created by female chefs or female at a female-owned restaurant to make sure that we focused on those places and not the places where every single employee you come across, from the people who clear the tables to the person who seats you to the chef is a man. So. Respect. Thank you so much. So I think that what we should start with is maybe going around and saying our very favorites. Mm. Is that a good place to start Lily? Um, Or would you like me to start with the questions on my sheet of paper? Um, I think we can start with whichever one you want to start with. Why don't we just go around the table, start with you,
2: Bridge, Sure. and go through our favorite meals. So there's a meal that my mom has always made for me growing up. Um, It's a very traditional Italian recipe, fried zucchini flowers. It's not something that I've found out a lot anywhere that I've been in the US. And then when I ended up studying abroad in London, I took a quick trip to Italy for my fall break and ended up going to the Amalfi Coast. And one night, me and my roommates were really, really hungry, and we ended up finding this tiny restaurant in an alleyway, like completely stumbled upon it. Could probably never point it to you again if I you ask me. But they had zucchini flowers, And not only were they fried, they were also stuffed with ricotta cheese and sauteed prosciutto. And it was absolutely just. Incredible, mouth-watering, uh, served with truffle mushroom pizza on the side. I'm sorry, you got a pizza on the side?
3: Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I I know what's not- uh, Italian side dishes. <laughs> I, I, I so. do not mess around,
2: and a great bottle of red wine, and I. Still, talk about that three years later. It was probably one of the best things I've ever eaten.
0: Does your mom still make it for you? Is it as good as this place in Italy? Of
2: course. Love you, mom. Um, <laughs> you know, they're seasonal, so it's hard to find them often year round. I think the season is in July, so if you want to make them, they're ready soon. Yeah, Don't Bridget's quote me on mom's uh, that. recipe for
3: that.
2: Email me. <laughs> Anna, how about you? What is
0: a what is top pick? Because you have a
3: few. Well, so the deep. Trouble that I came to when I was trying to like organize my thoughts when I was approached by Lale about this is not that I have a single favorite meal. My like hallmark of a wonderful meal is your ability to remember either a dish or a moment or a wine, either a month later, a year later, two years later, three years later. So I've had a lot of wonderful meals at like very fancy restaurants or very chill restaurants, but. What always sticks out are like individual moments of either just excellent cooking or as close to perfection as humanly possible. And it ranges from, there's a tiny gyoza shop. it's not tiny, it's freaking huge, but it's in Osaka <laughs> that is on a street, which I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, like, please go on. <laughs> <laughs> Dotonbori? <laughs> yeah. It's like a big drag, but basically it's just like, a house, an emporium of gyoza. And it's not necessarily about who the executive chef is there, but it's about creating one thing so well that you're just going to focus on that for the rest of your life. But realistically, I would be hard-pressed to say that one meal was like my favorite, but I've made it a point over my career to if I don't go to a restaurant that has a lot of women, that like I work in a restaurant that has a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And I started, a little context, a little backstory, I started in Philadelphia at a restaurant called Fork, which is owned by Ellen Yin. My first real pastry job was the only female-run Gordon Ramsay restaurant. It was called Angela Hartnett at the Connaught in London. And that was like a huge deal for me because I was like, I've never worked in a Michelin restaurant. I've never worked in a real pastry kitchen, but I will sit in the back and just like watch her run the entire game and also be, I mean, fairly intimidating and kind of scary. (laughs) But my time from that is so like foundationally based around this type of cheese. It's called Vacheron, it's a French cheese, but we used to serve the entire wheel. And man, oh man, you let it temper next to the oven, we would serve it with roasted fingerling potatoes. And I mean, it's kind of gross, but somebody would come and basically take like one spoon out of it and then they wouldn't finish it. And then me being like a rabid (laughs) child would just come behind and like sneaky eat it (laughs) like a raccoon (laughs) eating trash. But I will never not think of my time in London, my time underneath her tutelage and kitchen without thinking of like that cheese being so hungry and so overwhelmed by the quality of the product, and it was just like, I'm here for this. So <laughs> that's what we one. We'll start there, and then we'll make we'll the rounds. Keep, yeah, we'll <laughs> okay. yeah.
1: All right, so we're going to keep going round, then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next. Wheel of cheese. <laughs> Check. <laughs> okay, so the first one that I'm going to talk about is a little unconventional, as it did not take place in a restaurant that was the most glorious surprise and also took place in japan where i went a couple of months ago um which i've mentioned on a previous episode which was like an all women's adventure trip with this company called adventure women and judy wineland the founder was on the podcast a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. anyway but one of the things they do is they arrange all these sort of women-to-women experiences where you get to go and like hang out with someone who does some cool thing in that place. Cool thing being a, I don't know, 80-year-old mountain priestess who takes you hiking up a mountain and is way more fit than you'll ever be. In her sandals. Oh yeah. No, I've gone to (laughs) REI and spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on all sorts of shit. And then like I show up and she's in sandals. Socks and sandals. Socks and sandals and a robe. Anyway, so... (laughs) (laughs) She didn't. She didn't make us any
3: food. She
1: was was very memorable. But a few days after that hike, we went down to the coast and met with these ama divers, who are these female free divers who dive for fish and I think sometimes for pearls, um, but mostly different sorts of fish and crustaceans off the coast of Japan. And I had written about them a little bit in a feature I wrote for our Women Who Travel package back in March. I'm gonna keep plugging myself. <laughs> um, and basically, these free divers have these ama huts, which basically translates as like sea woman hut, down by the port where they then go out diving. And you know, they dive to the bottom of the ocean on a single breath and catch things with like a spear or like some sort of tool, which alone is incredible. But they cooked us a bunch of the fish that they caught that day. Um, And it was in this hut, it was all over an open fire. And it was the most delicious, thoughtfully prepared meal I think I've ever eaten. And we just like sat and ate and hung out in the Ammer hut. And it was like one of the most memorable experiences of my life. And I also took a thousand pictures of like odd bits of dried fish that I never thought that I would want to eat. And they were like the tastiest things in the world. I don't remember eating a vegetable. I think it was just fish.
3: Um, If it was, it was pickled. Yeah, it was
1: definitely pickled. And yeah, I mean, it was really magical. I'm never going to have that meal again. And one of the best things chatting to them was basically that men don't do their job. It's like it's just this little phenomenon in that corner of the world where it's just women that go out and die for that fish. And the one woman who, like the mountain priestess, was I think she was like almost 80. And sometimes the women would dive in groups, but she dived alone. Because she said she just didn't want anyone to have like any say over what she caught or like how she did her day. So she would just swim out into the ocean, alone, catch all this fish, and then
0: swim back. And she was 80! I cannot even imagine. I can, I can you know, I'm like <laughs> a grown woman and I can swim in a pool, and that's, that's Like doggy extent- paddle. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Oh my gosh, that's crazy.
1: So that is my
4: favorite meal prepared by women. Rachel, welcome to the podcast, but also, uh, what you have for us? All right, so I have a lot. I have like an entire notebook filled with notes (laughs) here, but I'll do something more recent, so... Uh, being that I work in social media, a lot of like the ways that I discover new restaurants are on social media. So I was planning a trip to Mexico City, which it seems like everyone is going there right now. And I'd seen pictures of this fish at Contramar all over my Instagram feed. So I was kind of like, I need to go here. So fast forward like a month later, after seeing like five more photos of that on my feed, I went to Contramar, which is Gabriela Camara's restaurant and ordered the whole fish. Um, and it's this amazing presentation. We were sitting outside and they bring it out and it is a whole fish and half of it has this like herby parsley sauce on it, half of it has this red chili sauce. They bring tortillas and they just like let you go to town on this whole fish. It was just my friend and I. Um, and it's one of those things where you're like, is this gonna live up to the Instagram hype? I'm not sure. And it was, it was just amazing especially in a city like Mexico City where like you're walking around all day, like those meals are so important because you just get to sit and have a bottle of rose and have this amazing um, whole grilled fish. And I think what's interesting what everyone has said is like the context that surrounds these meals. So I had met Gabriella a month before for an event at Healthyish, which is one of Bon Appetit sister sites. And I just got to see her work in the kitchen and how much of a badass she is. She has her sleeves rolled up and she was just dominating the kitchen and that context added to the meal for me and yeah that is definitely like a recent highlight of mine that restaurant is one of the most spectacular restaurants it, i've ever been to. it lives to. up to the hype
1: it really really does and also weirdly when i was there i like looked across the room and sam smith was just there having lunch
0: <laughs> super <laughs> casual <laughs> yeah, like, sure have those tuna tacos <laughs> yes <laughs> this is probably gonna sound really creepy because rachel and i have only just met but our other travelers social media editor. Director Manager Rachel Coleman had told me when you were in Mexico City, like, oh my gosh, you have to follow this girl who works at at Conde. And so I have actually seen the photos on your account, and I was like, ooh, gonna mark that down. So <laughs> I, I feel like it's just like the you know the social media Contramar chain. Yeah, is just my passing. fish was
4: one on your feed after that. <laughs>
0: you know, gotta go now. Yeah. So my my one suggestion because it is, or I guess memory because it is the biggest one is also from a chef who is 81. Her name is Tootsie, which I, she's just a rock star. She is a pit master in Texas. She has a restaurant called Snow's Barbecue in Lexington, which is like an hour outside of Austin. And she is actually being inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame uh, this year, which is pretty exciting. But barbecue in Texas specifically is pretty much exclusively a man's game. It is other places in the South. and. There are a lot of restaurants where the wives or the women do sides or do the extras, but there aren't a lot of pit masters in the US specifically who are women. And so Tootsie is eighty-one years old and she has like some of the best freaking brisket. Because she's eighty one, it's only open on Saturdays and you gotta get there really early. And it's like kind of just like a shack with a bunch of barbecue pits in it. But that kind of means it's the best kind of barbecue and is a pretty good sign that you're doing it right. Oh yeah. When every single sauce on the table is full and no one is touching them. That to me is a sign that the Texas barbecue is being done right. The brisket is incredible. And then her thing, which I have not had because I am a brisket girl through and through and it is the most glorious, like get fatty brisket or don't get brisket at all kind of situation, is pork steak, which I am hopefully going back to try when I am down in Austin next, which will be in October, I believe, fingers crossed. I can get to see Tootsie again, but it's basically just like where the pulled pork comes from. They cut it like a steak, you eat it like a steak. It basically is a steak, but like the juiciest, most delicious porkiest steak you have ever eaten. And I will be able to come back and say, for the second time, that Snows Barbecue in Lexington is my favorite meal.
1: How long has Tootsie been manning the, the pit?
0: Very, very, very the pit. Yes. oh god!
1: <laughs> you see, it's so, it's so <laughs> entrenched.
0: <laughs> womaning the pit. Um, How long has she been womaning the pit? So she started working the pit in 1966, and it was actually temporary, because the person that owned the um, restaurant she was working at, or the barbecue plate she was working at at the time, needed her to fill in. And then, basically, ever since then, she's just been in charge. Which I feel like is a pretty good, like, Indicator that you're really fucking badass when they're like, hey, come do this for a day. And then they're like, we can never live without you again. <laughs> please uh, stay. Please stay forever. For decades uh, doing this one thing, which is cooking all of the meat. Love Tootsie. Shout out to 81-year-olds who still are amazing at barbecue. <laughs> and all things. And all Apparently. things. Apparently, yeah. it's yeah. a theme. Swimming. Cooking, hiking, hiking, <laughs> being super freaking stylish, <laughs> like <laughs> whatever you want. Hey, okay, we have made it around the circle. So let's go around two.
2: All right. So, big surprise. One of my recommendations is in New Jersey, as an Bridget. Bridget. For Jersey. the uninitiated, yeah.
1: Bridget is from New Jersey. Biggest Lizzie Jersey New fan. Jersey. Jersey, well, anytime Jersey, Jersey. anytime someone asks what to go to, what to do on the weekend she's like you know
2: New Jersey has some great beaches <laughs> New Jersey has some great restaurants there's a great bar in New Jersey Thank you Lala <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this one place that I want to give a shout-out to is called Harmony Tea Room, and it's in Westwood, New Jersey, in Bergen County, about 40 minutes from the city.
0: Okay, great, because um, people talk about Jersey, and they're like, oh, it's close to this place, and I'm like, yes, I understand that, but I don't know where that other place is also, but that a far very of big of the city is, is, is a good suggestion.
2: Yeah, not that bad. Um, quick train ride, in case you were wondering. This is a female-run restaurant that's been around for a while. I remember first hearing about it when one of my friends had her birthday party there. In, we're not friends, classmates, but like nice classmate. Um, <laughs> hey,
3: <ooh. laughs> no, 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 no. I was
2: like, not like that. Not someone I was super close with, but she did have a birthday party there in like maybe eighth grade, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really nice. I should do that." But I didn't end up going until six years later. So. I don't know why that happened, but they have. Over were you not okay? I'm confused. <laughs> were you not invited to the party? Cause no, you no, not no, go no, to no. the party because yeah, we were we were in close. But like, gotcha. I just remember hearing about okay. it, and I was like, oh, that sounds really
0: lovely. Gotcha. Wait, how old are you in eighth grade? Like
1: fourteen. 15. I just like the thought of a fourteen-year-old Bridget being like. that sounds like a nice restaurant.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was very foodie even then. Um, But this restaurant has over 35 teas on their list. It's absolutely lovely inside. Sometimes you think of high tea, and you think, oh, it's going to be really stuffy. It's really fresh. Everything is brightly colored. There is all this eclectic china on the walls, and it's such a pleasant experience. The service is really friendly. And you can do anything from doing a traditional tiered high tea with all of the scones and desserts, finger sandwiches, which they kind of switch up that menu every month. Um, but you can also do combinations with soups and salads. Um, like There was this zucchini roasted rosemary soup I got one time that was absolutely lights
0: out. I feel like the theme for Bridget is zucchini. Zucchi-
2: wow, well, you know, I just realized <laughs> that I put myself there. in I love it. I love it. Um. And also, their seasonal scones. The eggnog scone is absolutely wonderful. Wait, what is the eggnog scone? So it's just it's you know the traditional scone, triangular form with little eggnog chips in it that melt, because it's served really warm. Eggnog chips? Like I guess I don't know. It's like an eggnog flavored chip. It looks like a chocolate chip, but it's eggnog, and there's like cinnamon in it, and it's spicy, and it's perfectly moist in a way because a scone can be dry. I I would like
0: those to be mass produced eggnog, faux chocolate chips. It is so good. Let's do it. Egg
2: chips. (laughs) That does not sound as good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, it's such a lovely place. It's so calming when you go there. Everyone is really kind. The service is never rushed. I make a tradition of going there with my mom. Spoiler alert, we love to eat (laughs) like several times a year, especially when we're stressed out. We'll be like, you know what? Let's just go get tea. And it is a great place. 10 out of 10 would recommend. (laughs) Anna?
3: I'm gonna throw a quick shout out to a dearly departed restaurant.
1: Oh God, I think we we're gonna do the same one, F-f-f-faring. Franny's. Yeah. There it is.
3: <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Franny's, and I used to eat there a lot. And I mean, no offense to Fausto. great restaurant, great like takeover of the space, turnkey operation in terms of like quality and delicious things. And to
1: fill people in who might not be. Familiar with Franny's. Yes. It's a dearly departed Italian restaurant in Brooklyn. Yes.
3: Owned by? Andrew Feinberg and his wife uh, slash co-owner, Franny Stevens. Um, (laughs) And basically, it was the perfect neighborhood restaurant. I know that people have a interesting version in their minds based upon some Portlandia, (laughs) bougie version of what a, like, really good delicious brooklyn restaurant is but when i say that i hope to invoke some level of just very well prepared food but in a humble environment you could definitely get squash blossoms there but it was (laughs) everything was everything was prepared with a soul that you want from a neighborhood restaurant. You want to be able to go there on a random Tuesday night and drink a bottle of wine and talk with your friends. And then you want to, like, mom and dad are coming to town. Let's like go have a nice meal. It's the same experience in different ways. And maybe you drink a little bit nicer wine when mom and dad are there. (laughs) But I really loved that restaurant because it was never about what you planned on eating. Like, obviously, their clam pizza was well-known, oft replicated but you walked in and it was like what's good what you make today that's what I want to eat and I think to you know to speak there is definitely some power to the gram and power to social media when it comes to specific dishes it's like going to Olmstead you're like I'm getting a carrot crepe like I have to because it's really really delicious but a lot of times going to a restaurant is also about experiencing what no one's talking about or at least no one's talking about yet and being willing to listen to the people that work there when you say, like, okay, what do you what's your favorite? What do you like to eat? And people are like, Oh, I actually highly recommend X. And then being like, sold, enough. Good Done. for me. Yeah. Because that's how you get close to the source. It's like these people live and breathe food. So finding a restaurant that not only is filled with delicious food, but people that you can trust to make the right recommendation to say, like, okay, this person makes me feel at home, so I'm gonna trust their opinion, and they're gonna steer me towards the most delicious food is always something that I appreciate in a restaurant, and Franny's definitely had that in spades, so. That clam pizza was like
1: crack, though. It was. Uh, like, I mean, it was.
3: You can tell anything, <laughs> I mean, there are certain things that are cooked with shellfish, that in order to get that much flavor, like somebody cared about it. No one just like opened up a like number ten can of oysters or like, <laughs> like just like dumped it into a pot and was like, "Here you go, good enough for me." It's like <laughs> there was care and attention put into that that can't be replicated because you're like, if this is only about the clams and the parsley and the chili and the dough, you're gonna make it the best version of that, and man, it is. I'll think about it forever. I know, never have it again. I mean, they're th- like other people admit. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. you're yeah. <laughs> Never gonna eat again. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry
1: listeners, we're like getting real sad now. Like, sorry, listeners, we just talked about this thing that you will never get to try.
3: <laughs> but you could look up you could, the recipes online. I've come close, I'll say that, because they're not shy about the recipe, which I appreciate. It's like there is enough like tutorials online that you could piece this together and make it at your house. Hmm. It might take you significantly longer than you would expect <laughs> to make a pizza, but you got 12 hours, you can get plant pizza.
1: Okay, all right. Um All right, so another one I have is also Mexico City. It is this restaurant called Rosetta.
4: On my list. Uh,
1: <laughs> the chef and owner is Elena Regardas, and it's an Italian restaurant in the Roma... District of Mexico City, and she also has a bakery around the corner, which I is it also called Rosetta's Panaderia Rosetta. That is it, thank you. And it's a very grand statement to make, but it's sort of the best Italian food I've ever had, <laughs> and it was in Mexico City. But um, her meds, on Italy. <laughs>
3: yes, seriously, <laughs> sorry,
1: zucchini blossoms. <laughs>
2: It's fine,
1: Bridget I'm, cry- making I'm it. crying. It's fine. Very sad face. <laughs> Bridget walked out. Um, <laughs> um, it's just, again, I think what Anna was talking about with a meal that is prepared with so much care. And the thought and the atmosphere of that restaurant is, I think, really special. It's in this beautiful townhouse. For people who haven't been to Mexico City, there's this really, really beautiful, old European Spanish architecture. And it's just in this old house um, and there's vines growing up the walls inside it has this sort of slightly inside outside feel to it and it's filled with people who you know actually live in Mexico City and going out for dinner um, and then like food obsessed tourists Um, but it is one of the most beautiful restaurants I've ever been to and When I was in Mexico City, I think I went there three times. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) How long were you in Mexico City? Not long. Not (laughs) three days. Three days, (laughs) exactly. Um, Yeah, I had two dinners there, and then I went to the bakery. (laughs) And I don't regret it. It was absolutely fantastic. It was such a special place. And um, I can't wait to go back there. And do you have one more? Um, Oh, yes, I do. Um, So this one goes way, way back to 90s London when I was... A wee lalee. A wee, <laughs> a wee lale. um, Not something that English people say. Um, and in Notting Hill, where I grew up, still is this cookery, it's like a cookery bookstore slash restaurant called Books for Cooks. And it is a very, very special place. And anyone who ever goes to Portobello Road should take a little detour and go to Books for Cooks. And at the back, they have this very, very small restaurant with a sort of open kitchen area and there's only a few tables and chairs. And my mum used to take, my mum loved it and she used to bring me with her all the time. And this chef at the time who was working there was this woman called Clarissa Dixon Wright. I don't know if the show reached these shores, but she was one half of the duo uh, Two Fat Ladies.
3: I love (laughs) Two Fat Ladies.
1: (laughs) It was a glorious show about two female chefs slash friends who rode a motorbike and a sidecar around England <laughs> and ate their way through the country. Oh, that it was is the
3: dream. The wow. most fully insane it's- show. <laughs> I don't even remember... <laughs> Oh, man, that's, that takes me back. Right? Talk about, talk about, like, eighth grade version of me where I was just obsessed with two fat ladies and actual, like, <laughs> Japanese Iron Chef that yeah. was out here, like, talking about things and, like, you know, Pies and whatnot. <laughs> 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 no, it's, no, that is how they do it. <laughs> It's comical, though. No. Oh, man, two fat ladies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's even,
1: they even reference it in Gilmore Girls. Like,
3: <laughs> I just really oh, want Anna know. to only speak
1: Insanely posh, insanely, insanely posh Uh. in the most wonderful, charming English way. And you sort of bustle into these places and they would (laughs) try these foods and then they would take over some like unknowing person's kitchen and prepare a meal. It was mesmerizing. Anyway, she was at this place called Books for Cooks. She was a chef for a few years, and my mum took me in there so much that my mum got on very good, like, talking terms. With Clarissa, and for my birthday one year, she made me this chocolate cake that was, I still dream of to this day, like 20 years later. Oh my God! And it was, I hadn't thought about it in a really long time until we were thinking about doing this episode, and I, it's like, it set the tone for how I imagine all chocolate cakes should taste Mm -hmm. like. Like that's the, the flavor that I then compare all other cakes to. Yes. and it was, it was like really simple. It was like the most, it was the simplest thing ever. It was just, oh God, it was really special and very rich because obviously one half of the two fat ladies was gonna make the richest chocolate cake <laughs> you could possibly imagine. Um, and she passed away in 2014, but I wanted to give a shout out to her because
4: she made the best chocolate cake ever. Rachel, what you got last round. Okay. So this is a plug for Bon Appetit, not actually, but um, (laughs) this was our 2016 Best New Restaurant. Um, It's called Staple House in Atlanta, and I'll kind of give the quick story behind it, but it was a couple, Jen and Ryan, um, they were doing these underground supper clubs in Atlanta and then kind of thinking about creating their own restaurant. And Ryan was diagnosed with cancer and unfortunately passed away before they were able to open the restaurant. So, Jen, his wife, along with Ryan's sister, Kara, continued and opened the restaurant Staple House. Um, so I went to Atlanta around two months ago, and I went with my parents. It's the type of restaurant that if you don't have a reservation, and the reservations book up like a month in advance, you wait at 5.30. with. Like, with my parents, that's a very, like, hard task to ask them to do. Um, They like to make reservations and know when we're going somewhere. But I'm like, you guys, it's worth it. We have to go here. No parents like to queue or wait for anything. No, never. So I really had to sell them on this one. But... We went there, and it was probably the most memorable meal I've had this year. And the specific dish was this um, chicken liver mousse tart. It has this burnt honey gelée on top, which, like, normally if it has the word gelée, I'm kind of like, sounds like whatever tweezery. But um, <laughs> it was just one of those things where you take a bite, and we all just like went silent and looked at each other, and we we're like, yeah, this is unreal so i'd say that is definitely up there um and just i'd never been to atlanta before and southern hospitality is a very real thing and just the service in all of the atlanta restaurants i went to where it was like unreal you don't find that in new york
0: I have a two month rule. I go to the south. I try to go to the south every two months to be reminded that they're like nice, friendly, courteous, (laughs) truly strangers who want to know about your life. Like when I was in Nashville and I sat down at dinner, like this couple next to me was like, "You're by yourself. Let's be best friends," and left with their cards and spent like my forty five minute to an hour long meal. I was like trying to eat and also like had brought a book to read, being like, Oh my gosh, like let's chat about whatever it is that
3: you 60-year-olds want
0: to talk about. Everyone's so nice. So nice. I feel so like I the Midwest is
3: also like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, It I was recently in Minneapolis and everybody was like, How are you? And you're like, Do I don't know you. I'm okay.
0: Not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you are
1: outside of a city, <laughs> like even <laughs>
0: upstate New York.
2: Still not nice enough though. No, Bridgette. like I went to Syracuse and oh, people man. were so nice. Like if I went into town, they were so friendly. They were like, oh how are you? Like,
0: the bar is just really low. <laughs> <laughs> when um, a crumb of hospitality. Yeah. When Meredith <laughs> we'll and I were in get,
1: get. When Meredith and I were in Austin together, I kept on asking her why cab drivers asked me about my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, like every Lyft driver is like, "What do you do? How do you feel about your job? Like, oh, how's New York? Like, how's your roommate? Like all this stuff." And we would leave, and Lolly would be like, "They ask so many questions." I'm like, "Yeah," because they like genuinely
3: are interested in you because you're sitting in their car. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We We just opened up a flagship milk bar in Logan Circle and, like, Tosi came down. Everybody was, like, you know, hanging out. Like, we got a lot of balloons. It was super fun. This was, like, this past weekend. And everybody just was congratulatory and kind. It was, like, welcome to the neighborhood. Everybody was so nice. And it started to rain at one point and people were, like, putting on ponchos and still hanging out. And I was like, (laughs) what? Like, this is. I mean, it's incredible. It was so nice. But I remember I used to work at a bakery downtown, and it was very busy, and there was always a line. And people were not nice in that line. Mm. People were... Well, you also have the craziest line in New York City. Yeah. Yes. It was,
1: <laughs> it was the Cronut line. Yes.
3: Uh. And that line... Yeah, there were there were days there were a lot of kind people that would show up and it was like okay we don't Probably have any more like yeah but like we don't have any more us. <laughs> we'll be fine like you know come on down what else is good I'll eat whatever yeah. and then the, invariably there were like truly horrible people that were like, I came all the way from the Upper West Side. Like, <laughs> 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 where is this thing? And I'm like. It sounded like such a villain. <laughs> <laughs> because they were. <laughs> they were as close to villains as I'll ever meet. But like, that's. Amazing. But there is, there is something about getting out of the city and going to different places where you experience like the cultural isms of a specific location. But yeah. I mean, it's not that New Yorkers are not hospitable by nature. But there's just a little gruffness that I would say is associated, where it's just like, yeah, I'll be really, really nice to you if you need directions, but also move faster and get out (laughs) of my way. So, plus and minuses. And that (laughs) extends to other
1: places in the world, too. Like, when I was in Japan, the trip I raise any excuse, (laughs) I was, uh, again, everyone was so nice to me and so courteous. I mean, like, the train conductors bow when they walk into a carriage on the train. Like, can you imagine like someone on like New Jersey Transit like no. bowing before they went into <laughs> no. each carriage?
0: Bridget couldn't even let you finish that sentence. <laughs>
3: <No>. <laughs> Except I did when I, I was also in Japan recently, and I was traveling with my two friends, one of whom was a man, and I fell asleep. Shout out, Jason! <laughs> yeah, shout out to Jason, known expert traveler slash man. Um, <laughs> And at one point, I fell asleep with my legs crossed. And it's like, I've lived in New York for 10 years. I don't fudge around. Like, I'm not out here, like, splaying my legs and taking up a lot of space. And the car was mostly empty. Like, everyone was seated. And at one point, the guy basically, like. The conductor? Like, no, like a random oh, uh, dude. random man. S- yeah, okay. sitting across from us. Literally, like. Looked at Jason, pointed at me, and then shook his head no. And it was like, oh. and somehow it was like, you need to fix your woman. And I was like, and I, Jason just like posed. I was like, I don't think he likes that your like legs are crossed or something. I don't really know how to deal with it. And I was like, uh. this is like truly the opposite of manspreading. I am taking up less space but also f- fix it. Yeah. yeah, but but that's the one thing about Japan that I'm like, there were some weird, subtle shades that I received, which by and large, extremely respectful, but also, I'm watching you, don't start. <laughs> <Yeah. gasps>
1: um, and actually, on the subject of friendliness, I think, Anna, you can probably speak to this the most, but you know, when we're talking about female-owned restaurants, What is the atmosphere in the kitchen like when you're working with a lot of women compared to a lot of men or a combination of the two?
3: Ooh, man. Um, The thing for me as a female chef, I came to this realization years after it was probably going to save me like a stress ulcer, but (laughs) it was that you had to be both the hardest and softest person around. So if you were perceived as being weak people were going to walk all over you so you had to be like super aggressive and curse at people and yell at people and set a standard and like basically don't take any shit but then the second that you know someone had a bad day or someone got broken up with or someone's sick or whatever you also have to be a mom and to coddle people and to care for people And it was, you know, it was a weird situation because there were definitely years where I was one of a few women, and you had to basically ride this line where you were both super sensitive but super aggressive at the same time, which feels insane when you're just trying to be at work and do what you have to do. But the more women that are in a kitchen, it's just a very different energy because you don't have to focus on being a woman and being a chef, you can just be a chef. Like, the more women that you're surrounded by, the less you have to think about, like, what it is to be a woman in that environment because you're just like, oh, okay, we run this shit. Now I don't need to deal with, like, coddling a dude or, you know, coddling another woman. But it's a really tough line when you are by yourself as a woman. And I think it's why more women need to be in the kitchen and on the and on the floor and you see it a lot where there's a lot of women in the front but maybe not a lot in the back because women are very like conscientious and cautious and able to basically like see a need and fill a need very quickly just I think it's like inherent within that nature that you're like I know that I would want X in this situation so I'm just going to do it without being asked which is a huge part of hospitality but really being in a kitchen surrounded by men, you have to spend a lot of time and energy trying to prove yourself. And the second that you are not in the minority, you can just like do what you have to do.
0: As no one else here has experience. I uh, mean, I've been a waitress. There you go. I've Since. been a hostess. Oh my gosh, um, okay. I'll, I'll just take a seat back here <laughs> yeah. and then you guys
1: go. I've only ever been a waitress in pubs or restaurants where the entire kitchen was made up of men and often the bar would be as well and I would be immediately made to work the floor because I was the one woman and I would be fascinated to know what my experience in those places would have been like if there'd been at least one woman in that kitchen. All male kitchens can be a very intimidating place to walk into and I have been called every name (laughs) under the sun simply because some person sent back their risotto Like, it's extraordinary.
3: Yeah. And what I will say, having worked in a lot of male-run kitchens, to have a job now where most of the leadership team are women and our chef-owner is a woman, it's nice. Like, (laughs) I I mean it seriously that I, you know, I've had conversations with bosses before where it was, I understand my, my job is to fix problems. I understand that my job is to be the person that troubleshoots and handles all of the issues that we have, but I do need to have a positive environment. I do need to hear, like, good job, or, like, you like you did awesome today, thank you, or any sort of, like, positive reinforcement. And working in a situation now where I'm surrounded by women everyone is uplifting one another. And yeah, like everybody's also holding each other accountable and it can be very stressful. That's, you know, it's still hard work. It's still the restaurant industry. It's still very busy. But it is very nice to actually have someone from the top setting a standard that says, I will appreciate everyone in the room. And that's just something that I haven't really experienced when it comes to men at the top. so
1: other than Milk Bar, <laughs> are there any other places <laughs> that you guys think us, and people listening should go and check out both in the US and around the world, owned by women.
2: Yes. Well, actually, I don't know if it's owned by women, but I know that the chefs are rotating grandmothers from around the world. Oh gosh, what? <laughs> okay. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but there is a place on Staten Island called Enoteca Maria, and I think every night, uh, don't quote me on that, there is a different grandmother Running the kitchen and it's like cooking. The most Staten Island thing ever. But, Italian Staten Island thing. I mean, ever. Hey, it, it's got a Michelin bib gourmand, so it's supposed to be a pretty good restaurant. I haven't been yet, but it's always been on my list, and I'm dying to go. I mean, the menu changes every night, but like I just looked at it before this, and there's figs stuffed with gorgonzola and wrapped in speck, and lobster, and rigatoni with porcini mushrooms, and it just looks amazing. And I mean, come on, like what, where else are you going to get that experience? And if you don't have
0: your own Italian grandmother, it's basically just like where you can find one for the night. But but, like all over the world, not just Italy. Like where else are they from?
2: I'm not sure. Okay. (laughs) I have to do a lot of
0: research into this. I am sold. But it sounds really cool. Somewhere that I haven't been that I would happily fake hype up so much is one that some women in the Facebook group said was one of were one of their favorite meals when we had put this question out to them and it's Girl and the Goat in Chicago which just it's like good. go just like yeah. Stephanie is our like just go. I'm we'll plan a trip just to go and eat there
4: the next time I'm in Chicago. But go there. Mm. Go and eat there. I have lots. <laughs> Do it. Okay. Botanica in Los Angeles is amazing. It's run by two women who used to work in media and then kind of like switched over and opened this amazing place. Kismet in Los Angeles is also amazing. The Turkish-ish breakfast is probably the best breakfast I've had this year. And then uh, Single Thread in Healdsburg is owned by a couple. It's an inn and a restaurant and it's probably the most like special insane 11 course tasting menu I've ever had. But I think just like on the topic of all of this and in Bon Appetit's role in all of this is just to highlight more women. I think a lot of the reason that men have kind of gotten in this role is the media like lionizing men in the way I read some interesting article that I need to pull up but it is the way we describe men and the way they like innovate in food and the way we describe women and the way they innovate in food they're like Extremely different adjectives and we use these like crazy like mind melding words for men and for women It's like they just placed a leaf on top and then for men They're like they take these words and they just like make it sound the most like the most badass thing ever And just like thinking about even the words that we're using to describe male and female chefs and that equalizing that um, And I think that just all of us in media can kind of do a better job of being aware of that. I
1: mean, I said manning the pit. (laughs) there you go. There you go. You got any other
0: questions?
3: I'm going to say two things. Okay. One in San Fran, one in New York. Mm -hmm. First in New York, Hot Bread Kitchen, a nonprofit started by a woman, and it's basically run by women where it takes people from around the world, women from uh, around the world who have not necessarily worked outside of the home who are trying to make a living wage and go through their apprenticeship program But also like who makes the most badass bread moms so it speaks to the same idea but basically they make regional breads from around the world and then sell them so they definitely have a website and they are at some of the green markets in new york so definitely check them out because that's a pretty awesome thing and the second the riddler in san francisco champagne bar it's like 30 some odd investors all women
4: managed by all women and you can drink like a million glasses of champagne, and it's pretty <laughs> awesome. So they have awesome champagne buckets that they like collect like amazing vintage champagne buckets. that are awesome. It's dope. Ooh, I'm going to San Francisco soon. I'm gonna go.
3: But, uh, good. <laughs> 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 oh, wait,
2: I Give ha- those women my money. <laughs> I have. Two more, but they'll be quick sentences. Is that okay? Yes, Bridget. (laughs) Go for it! If you are ever in Massachusetts, head to Plum Island, which is about an hour outside of Boston, and right by Newburyport, there is a beach shack called Mad Martha's that makes some of the best breakfast sandwiches you will ever have. Helmed by Martha? No, by Kendall and Kyrie, who are both women. I'm pretty sure that I had The Hangover, which has bacon, sausage, ham, and American cheese. And, you know, because I'm a meat fiend, like, that's totally healthy. But it was amazing. Also, Dottie Audrey's in Tuxedo, New York. And I'm making a bold claim here. Best omelet. Hands down. You will not find a better omelet. It is the fluffiest thing. I get ham and cheddar every time. And I, you know what? It makes me cry. (laughs) <laughs> it's so good. Go That there is the hallmark now. of good yeah. food. It's whether just or not. I, I, sobbing, I, I eating an omelet. I teared up a little bit. I saw like the stars align. There was a glow <laughs> in the restaurant.
3: But you do that weird grid where you like take a bite. And you're like, and you're all like, right, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then you eat it again. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like a tiny to me more you're tears, tears uh-huh. sneaks out, and you're like, 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 like for that this. Roy
2: Lichtenstein <laughs> comment. Yes. just like,
0: cries. Oh, I love it. Well, I feel like that's a great place to wrap up. If you have a place, listeners, that you are obsessed with that is women-run, women-chefed, women-owned, please tweet at Lolly and I so we can add it to our never-ending list of places to visit. And definitely let us know if you've been to any of the places we've recommended. And if you also love them as much as we do, you can read... About a bunch of stuff that women have done on cntraveler.com. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> We're just gonna go at that. Um, you can find us at cntraveler all over the social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at oh hey there, Mayor.
4: Rachel, you have one of my favorite handles. Oh gosh, mine's at milk carton, milk and then k a r t e n, my last name. I love
0: it. Oh, amazing.
4: And you can find me
1: at
3: Hannah on Instagram.
4: Uh, I am Bananarama,
3: B-A-N-N-A-R-A-M-A.
2: And you can find me on Instagram at BRHalloman. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for joining, and you'll hear from us next week.